course on outreach, on, on trying to learn how better to communicate uh, our, our faith with our friends. Um, so we've been doing this course called Gospel-Centered Outreach, and we're already approaching the end of it. <laughs> uh, it's a nine-week course, and we are on week eight, so you're kind of joining us right at the end. And we've kind of, we've looked at a number of topics over eight weeks, uh, including who God is, who we are, what is the gospel, how do we understand the gospel, um, and, and different aspects, well, what do we actually say to people? And what I'd like to talk about this morning with you is to think about um, how we actually speak to people. How do we speak to them? So not so much the content, but the attitude or the, um, the heart with which we speak. Um, I'm always fascinated at the Premier League uh, football. Um, when we first arrived, Watford was not in the Premier Division. And uh, so I also supported Arsenal, which um, I've been regretting for the last 17 years. Uh, everybody changes their manager except Arsenal, all right? So I, <laughs> uh, Watford, the, the, the club that is in our town, has changed their manager eight times in five years. Eight times in five years. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, but what a, what a manager is supposed to do, a manager is supposed to be responsible for the coaching, for picking the team, for the strategy, how they're going to play. Uh, and inevitably, when the team doesn't perform well, the first person that gets the chop is the manager. And so many teams have this turnover of, of managers. And uh, the managers are also there to motivate the players, to keep them focused, to say, okay, this is the, what we're going to do. This is how we're going to play. And in short, a manager is supposed to come up with a game plan that the, the team is supposed to stick to and execute well and, and hopefully do well in the league. And so there's much, much to consider when you're thinking about a game plan for, for football. And in a way, what I want to speak to you about this morning is taking that analogy and saying, okay, well, how do we apply that to evangelism? How do we craft, how do we come up with a game plan for um, spreading the good news of Christ uh, with our friends? And uh, the first thing we have to do is, is determine what's the objective. What, what are we aiming at? It's hard to know if you're being successful unless you know what you're aiming at. And I've tried to share with you, uh, and the other preachers have shared with you, that um, really good evangelism, good, good sharing the message of Jesus, is, is not measured so much by results as it is by faithfulness. And we've looked at that in detail. Uh, our, our objective as disciples and followers of Jesus is to faithfully communicate as best as we can, as kindly as we can, as joyfully as we can with everyone else what the gospel is, our friends, our family, those that don't know Christ. We, that's our responsibility. And it's not our, our role in that. It's only the Holy Spirit can save people. We can't save anyone. So our role is to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus, to joyfully do that, and then to trust the Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance. So God is the one who awakens people. God is the one that softens hearts. God is the one that brings people to a knowledge of Him. And we have to be relaxed in our part of the process. Uh, we are those that sow seeds. We are those that simply, uh, the analogy of the sower is a beautiful one. We sow the seed. We water the seed, and we trust the Holy Spirit is the one bringing things to life. Yeah, that's our part in, in the deal. And I don't know about you, but I've tried to say this over a number of weeks. I find that incredibly liberating because it, it takes away the implications of feeling rejected when people don't respond to the message. Uh, and we, it helps us also just to 
faithfully stick at the game plan that God has for us, and that is that we faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus and, and trust as we pray that He's bringing people to repentance. And so I want to think about five ways, just mention five ways this morning that we can begin to think about how we speak. How do we communicate this message, all right? And the first thing I'd like to say is simply this, that we need to speak to people knowledgeably, knowledgeably. And this is what I mean. If you think about the people that live in your community, or your friends, or your family, uh, your neighbors, perhaps people that you work with, or uh, people that you are, are, are hoping to reach with, with the good news of Jesus, remember that people more and more, and I don't say this insultingly, but people more and more are biblically illiterate. They really are illiterate in terms of what the Bible teaches and Bible stories. And we see this over and over. Tim was mentioning step. Uh, how many children come through school and know nothing of the Bible? So you might just say, do you know who Samson was? And people in the, in the, in the classes look at you blankly. Samson, I haven't got a clue. Do you know who Noah is? Haven't got a clue. They genuinely do not have a clue. And so for, as we're trying to communi communicate to, to, um, to those that we love and perhaps our neighbors and friends, others in, in other environments, let's not ever take for granted that they know what we're talking about. Are you with me? And so we have to find ways to communicate these things in an increasingly biblically illiterate world. Secondly, we can't assume that anyone has a Christian worldview. Or frame of reference. Um, people really don't have a Christian worldview uh, anymore. People are not familiar with the stories that we perhaps grew up with in Sunday school. Uh, our world is increasingly secular. I've spoken to with you about this many, many times. And so we can't take for granted that um, practices that worked in the past are going to be effective now. We have to rethink many basic things in how we try and communicate the truth of Jesus to those that we love. So I'm not, I'm not talking about the gospel being effective. I'm absolutely, I was chatting yesterday with, with a friend and just saying this, the older I get, the more convinced I am of some very basic things. And on the other hand, the less dogmatic I am with a lot of stuff. I think when I was young, I was very black and white about some things, and uh, I'm not compromising the gospel at all, but I am saying this, as I learn and as I got a bit older and I'm trying to communicate with people, I'm realizing there are actually a lot of things that I can't be dogmatic about, and actually I have to take the time to journey with people and to come alongside them and love them and out of friendship actually say, well, over a period of time, let me, un let me unpack what I believe and, say, and, and uh, help you to see what I'm, where I'm coming from. Are you with me? Instead of just assuming stuff and saying, well, this is how it is. We don't live in a world like that anymore. And so I'm encouraging us to think about this as we try and communicate the gospel effectively. Let, let, me, let me choose some things in particular. For example, the word sin. For, for me as a biblical person, Sin is a negative thing. Largely for the world, sin is quite cool. Largely for the world, sin is quite cool. It's kind of like, it's stuff you can get away with that's a little bit risque, a little kind of on the edge, but it's quite cool, you know? Uh, how many of you have heard the expression, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Anyone heard that expression? I mean, you know, Vegas is sin city, isn't it? 
So you, hold, you do a whole lot of stuff. But the implication for our culture is, well, if you can get away with the stuff, that's quite cool. It's not going to hurt anyone as long as you're not hurting anyone. Get away with the stuff. You know, what happens in Vegas happens in Vegas. Let it ha- happen there. It doesn't matter. You don't bring it back with you. It's kind of seen as kind of to skirt the boundaries of what we might consider good behavior or moral behavior. It's actually seen as quite cool. It's not really seen as um, a serious thing. It's kind of naughty but nice. You heard that expression. This is naughty but nice. It's kind of like, well, you know, sin, it's kind of a little bit naughty, but it's quite cool at the same time. You hear what I'm saying? This is our culture. And for me as a biblical person, it's not about the stuff that people do that displeases God so much as what it expresses is a rejection of Him. And as a biblical person, that's what I see sin as. I see sin as rejecting who God is, what He's called me to be, how He's called me to live. And as a result of that, I live it out in ways that displease Him. And sometimes we we get too concerned with the ways that displease and we judge people on sin uh, behavior without realizing it's expressing a disconnection with their father. How concerned are we with the disconnection with the father? Are you with me? So we have to rethink how we communicate about sin. How, how are we going to help people to see that? How are we going to help people to understand that? Of course, we're not condoning bad behavior, but are you hearing what I'm trying to say? There's a way of trying to engage with people that they understand what you're on about when everything that surrounds them actually says, it's okay. You know, if you don't hurt anyone and you can get away with it, it's actually okay. Are you with me? What about um, Jesus? Uh, I'm interested, you know, I've, I've said this before, but the name of Jesus is everywhere. It seems to be everywhere, and it seems to be nowhere at the same time. I hear the name of Jesus regularly on the golf course, regularly. Every time I play around, I hear the name of Jesus. Maybe if I'm playing with an unbeliever and he misses 18 putts, I hear the name of Jesus 18 times. The name of Jesus is everywhere, <laughs> but it's nowhere at the same time. How, how, do we, how do we get people to move away from uh, understanding Jesus simply as a swear word to engaging with the person of Jesus? How do we do that? I don't have all the answers. I'm just asking you that we can think together as we're trying to go forward as a church in communicating these things to our friends and our family. How do we get people to move away from seeing Jesus purely as a kind of historical figure that's now, has now become a swear word for many rather than engaging with the person of Jesus? How do we do that? What about the word faith? Um, I tried to speak about this a little bit last week. For many people, faith is seen as kind of a leap in the dark. Uh, Just, you know, you kind of take a blind leap of faith. You're kind of irrational. It's kind of not thought through. It's irresponsible. It's kind of this thing that people have in their hearts, and they just take a step of faith, and it's kind of all kind of emotional. Well, for me, biblical faith is exactly the opposite, and I've been trying to help us to see over the last while that we have faith not based on feelings, not based on experiences, not even based on spiritual experiences. Our faith is based on historical events that happened. We believe the Bible as a historical book, and I spoke to you last week a little bit about that, that we can have confidence as we do that. And don't let the world dupe you and say that it's not an historical book. Uh, We can talk about that some more, but actually it is, and it can be, many things can be proved. And on that basis, we put all of our trust in the promises of God, not in what we feel. Why? Because <laughs> what we feel goes up and down. Feel good one day, bad one day. Good one day, 
bad one day. That's why we're seeking to be biblical Christians in this church community and root our faith on what the Bible teaches. That in a rational way, with your mind, you can engage your heart and believe with complete trust in Jesus. You with me? Okay. So we can be confident in terms of uh, the history of the Bible, that we're not being emotional, we're not being sentimental, that we commit ourselves based on the promises that God has in His Word that we can trust completely. What about a word like salvation? Well, I actually think this is a word that our culture does understand. <laughs> I was thinking about commercials. <laughs> you know, commercials are actually salvation promises. You know, they are. Commercials, every commercial is selling you a product that is promising some kind of salvation to you. Think about it. How many ads have you not seen? I, I suppose they, they, well, they're kind of a little bit unfashionable now. But I remember seeing these adverts of these weenie kind of guys that were desperately trying to engage with, with women, and they couldn't engage with women. And what did they have to do? All they had to do was use a certain deodorant. And they would become irresistible to every female on the planet. How many of you have not seen adverts like that? Come on. Of course you have. Salvation for you is in the, is in the deodorant that you wear. If you are battling with ladies, just use links or whatever it was. And you will be successful with women. Salvation. Of course it is. Any product is promising functionally something for you that you desire, and it's promising it can save you out of that thing and give you what you want. What about action movies? And there's our great hero who always comes at the right time to save what needs to be saved and rescues what needs to be rescued. Isn't it true? Every action movie is a story of salvation. Critical situation needs a hero. The hero comes, saves people out of it. Our culture does understand salvation, does understand that something needs to be rescued out of a distressful situation. How do we learn better to communicate all that Jesus has saved us and rescued us from through the cross and the death and resurrection of Christ. It's a great, great picture of salvation that we must learn to better communicate with our friends and our family. Yeah? Maybe we should use a, use a movie series, salvation movie series. I'll be back. Schwarzenegger. Okay, that wasn't funny, obviously. It's okay. All right. So I want to put it to you, if, we, if we're going to learn to do that, though, if we're going to learn to use these things to, to, to help un, uh, unpack the gospel to people, we better know our Bibles well, and I want to encourage you to be biblically literate, to know what the Bible says. It's very hard to communicate with someone when you don't really know. Mm, let me go and look it up quickly. Shh. Not quite sure. So that's a challenge to us, isn't it, that we become more biblically literate? And secondly, that we really take the time to learn about people. Again, I'm sounding like an old, old man. This is what I've discovered as I've got older. People are not the same. 
That's why the Holy Spirit says we need to walk by the Spirit. Because really, so many of us have different backgrounds and different um, things that we've grown up with. And we can't just say everything is plastered the same for everybody. Of course, the gospel story is the same, and we need to apply that. But the Holy Spirit wants to uniquely speak to people. Do we take the time to really get to know them, engage with them, learn about who they are, their history? You with me? That's what's going to help us to really be effective in communicating the gospel. Are you still with me? Okay. Speaking knowledgeably, first thing. And the others are not so fast, not so um, long. Secondly, we need to sp learn to speak intentionally to people. Okay, so knowledge knowledgeably on the one hand, but secondly, intentionally. You know, in the old, in the old days, I'm talking about the 50s and 60s, perhaps before um, our culture has been uh, changed so radically in the last 50 or 60 years, um, people in church could open the doors and pretty much expect that uh, if they ran a decent program, people would come in. And so we were encouraged to, you know, do it meetings that attracted people, attractional meetings, uh, guest speakers to come, youth programs, Bible studies, all those kind of things. But I want to put it to you that in our culture, perhaps we need to rethink that a little bit. I mean, those things still can be helpful and um, work well, but, but, but mostly now, local churches need to be living out um, the message of Jesus in a way that attracts Christ to, uh, pe people are attracted to Christ. Are you with me? So it's not just about putting on programs. It's about actually my life demonstrating something of Christ's love and the goodness of Christ to my friends and my family. And that's not a new concept. I want to put it to you, if you go and read the book of Acts, you can read a couple of highlights, a couple of highlights, and you can read about uh, perhaps Peter and Stephen and, and Philip and Paul and Silas, um, four mu um, a, a few more guys than that. But if you look at the history of how the church grew, the church grew unprecedentedly in the early centuries, very fast, very rapidly. And who was generating that growth? We hear the highlights of Paul and Silas and all those guys, but it was ordinary people living out their lives, demonstrating Jesus through being kind to people, through connections, through um, discipling others, to reaching out, to, to, to using conversations to speak about Jesus. It was the ordinary people that made the church grow so quickly. Yes? We read about the highlights, but actually it was everybody. It's all of us, all together. Remember, I told you the story uh, a couple of months ago about, um, where is it? I can't remember. Acts 17, where it says the whole town. Paul spoke once in the synagogue, and the next day the whole town came to hear him again. And I said to you then, how did that happen? It wasn't just like the Holy Spirit suddenly spontaneously made all the people come. No, the people from the synagogue probably went out and told their friends, who told their friends, who told their friends about this guy Paul, and the whole town came out. There's something of us doing it together. Are you with me? So knowledgeably and intentionally. And how can, we, how can then we learn to be intentional with the gospel? I want to make some suggestions to you. You know, all of us have activities, right? And some of them are really mundane, but we all think about the things that make up your life for a moment. Uh, we have a daily routine. We all commute to work somehow. We all eat our meals. We do our chores. We walk the dog. We pay, play with the children. If your kids are young, whatever you do, that's your daily kind of routine. 
and you have a weekly routine as well. You go grocery shopping, but from now on, no one's going grocery shopping. We're all going to shop online, isn't that right? So we take that out. So no more shopping, <laughs> or watching telly, or going to movies, or whatever it is, exercising. That's your weekly routine. And then you have a monthly routine. Uh, you might like to garden. You, if, and I don't get a haircut, but maybe some of you get a haircut once a month, or whatever it is. You have a monthly routine as well. And, and I want to encourage you, as you think about the things that you do all the time, as we think about evangelism and reaching out with the good news of Jesus, can we um, just rethink the things that we do all the time to include Jesus in the process of what we do all the time? And this is what I mean. Perhaps when we go to the movies, we can include someone else from the church, our church family, to build community with someone else in the church. That's something we normally do. So when we go to the movies, next time let's engage with someone in the church community that we want to build a relationship with. So we're doing our normal thing. We're just engaging someone else. Or what about a missional component to that? We've invited our neighbor, Mel, that we've been witnessing to for many years now, about two or three times at Christmas because he never goes home um, to his family. And so we invite him for a Christmas meal, and he comes and he hangs out with us sometimes over Christmas. That's, that's just involving someone that you're trying to reach out to in stuff that you normally do. So I'm not saying we need to do extra stuff. It's just the stuff that we normally do. Can we engage people in what we normally do? Are you with me? And then obviously within that, taking the opportunities that God has with us with the gospel that we when the opportunity comes to really speak about Jesus, that we take that three-second gap and we do speak about Jesus. Are you with me? So I want to encourage you as you leave this, this morning, uh, I'm not asking you to add on a whole lot of stuff to your life. I'm simply asking you to help to rethink your life and reorientate your life around a missional kind of component of speaking to others about Christ. So the things that we normally do, we're just rethinking those and engaging people in those things that we normally do. And then I would like to say, thirdly, or whatever it is, fourthly, we need to speak to people attentively. Uh, and here I'm going to speak to myself. It's not good. I wouldn't say this is the devil's instrument, but sometimes it is the devil's <laughs> instrument, isn't it? Our culture is completely distracted, isn't it? And unfortunately, it's getting worse. And most of us carry our phone around with us and treat it like a crying baby. Isn't it true? Like a baby needs a nappy changed and we think desperately we have to change them. We must change the nappy then. Every time the phone rings or the email pings or the text, take the phone out. So I'm guilty of this all the time. Right? So I'm not preaching at you because this is me. I'm, learning, I'm trying to get better at this. Phone dictates our lives, doesn't it? And we, are, we engage in that distraction. And so I'm saying, if we are going to really know about people, <laughs> that we have to engage with people. We have to put our phones away. We have to give them our full attention to engage with them. And that comes as we learn to listen. So I'm saying to you, and I'm saying to myself, that perhaps evangelism is really about listening to people. It's not about just telling the message. It's about really listening 
and engaging with people where they're at. And I don't think we can overestimate that. And what do you listen for? Well, I want to put it to you this morning that actually, unknowingly, people speak about the gospel story in their normal life. They just don't know they're doing it. I want to tell you that I think people speak about creation, the fall, sin, and redemption all in their conversations. And if we would just listen, we can be better engaging with them and helping them to see Christ. What do I mean? I mean, I mean this. How do people speak about creation? Well, whenever you meet someone, what do they speak about? They speak about where they were born, where they're from, their history, where they grew up. They're speaking about creation, where they are, where they came from. They're speaking about their origin. They speak about what's important to them, their family, their hobbies, their relationships. Normal conversation. People speak about the fall, about sin, in their normal conversations. How, why do I say that? Well, often people speak about frustration or what's stopping them from engaging with the dream for their life. So they'll speak about a difficult boss. They'll speak about relationships that have gone wrong. They'll speak about divorce. They'll speak about debt. They'll speak about lack of time. They'll speak about a pressure upon themselves. Am I, am I, are you with me? This is what people about speak about all the time. There's a sense of fallenness in their lives. They know something is wrong. And often people speak about redemption as well. What they're going to do or try to do to overcome their difficulties. <laughs> How many of you secretly wouldn't like to win the lottery? $87 million, I think it is, at the uh, pounds I saw in the newspaper. And a British ticket has got it. Perhaps it's you. Why, why do we think about the lottery all the time and winning the lottery? Because the lottery would save me from my problems, wouldn't it? Every single one of my problems saved out of that just by winning the lottery. Isn't it true? Redemption in a big lot of money. Uh, or some people talk about their kids a lot. Have you noticed that? And all the kids are achieving. And they live through their children. It's redemption that comes for me through my family. It's what they're going to do. Things I couldn't do, they're going to do. Or promotion at work. And these are not necessarily bad things. They speak about restoration. People speak about restoration uh, commonly, and I speak about it like this as well. That vacation that I'm going to have. That holiday that I'm going to have. <laughs> that's going to make everything right, isn't it? It's going to restore me when I can go on holiday. So I'm just kind of getting through the year so July can come and I can leave this all behind. And I've said this to you before. Can I just remind you again, and I'm nearly finished. Every one of us believes a gospel. And I'm saying to you this morning that all these things I've spoken about really are the kind of gospel that people preach to themselves. This is what's going to save me. My job, my promotion, my holiday, my relationship, my new relationship. These things are going to save me. And what we have to help people to understand is that that kind of gospel is never going to save. That kind of gospel it might, might for a moment satisfy but it doesn't satisfy eternally and then find opportunities with those things as metaphors to try and help 
point people to the Savior who does satisfy and who does save and who does that eternally and securely forever. Are you with me? We can use these things to lovingly walk alongside people and to, um, to help them see something of what Christ has for them. And I want to put it to you lastly that we need to speak thoughtfully. Remember, we're thinking about this morning how we need to speak, how we need to communicate. Thoughtfully, uh, many people are crying out out of a place of, of need and, and, and pain, and, and I believe we can thoughtfully engage with them in that broken part of their life. I mean, how many, have, have you, how many of you have not heard conversations around divorce, single-parent families, business at work, busyness at work, fractured relationships, feeling alone, don't have a friend in the world. Discontent with the government. Anyone? <laughs> Whatever government it is. We've just had a beautiful park built in Casterbury, in Watford, by the local council. It's amazing. It's got, a, it's got a new swimming pools. It's got a fantastic new um, restaurant and stuff. They spent, I don't know how much, millions, five million. They've redone the park. I had to look at some of the comments uh, yesterday because it was the opening day yesterday. So I went online and had to look at some of the comments. How many of you think they were, percentage-wise, what do you think the, the positive comments were? 5%? Everybody else, waste of money, the old was better, why are you spending so much money on a restaurant? They're going to charge us more for a cup of coffee. All this kind of stuff. Negative, 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 negative. 5% positive. Makes me mad. People feeling vic victimized or complaining about the lack of morality in, in our culture or lack of job security. Well, if we are thoughtful, we can engage people with those issues and help to speak about Jesus in a way that helps them to see hope for their lives in Christ. And lastly, I spoke about this last week, but I'd just like to mention it again. We need to speak patiently with people. Patiently. Speak knowledgeably, intentionally, attentively, thoughtfully, but we must speak patiently. And I think we can fall into a trap of being impatient that we expect that when they explain the gospel to someone once, they must get it straight away. <laughs> I mean, it's truth. It's true, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is true. God is true. How can you not see? How can you not understand? We want you to get it straight away. And then when nothing happens, we think we failed or that our work is finished. Well, I want to encourage you, it's not finished and it's not failed. I have a good friend called Lee Cowles. And um, he was a headmaster for many, many years. And he had this thing with his students. He would say to us, we say, Lee, how, how did it go this week at school? Or how did it go today? And he said, oh, just drip feeding. Just drip feeding. I love that. What was he saying? It's like, I'm irrigating these young people's lives. And I'm just another drip. Another drip of water. Just another drip. Incredibly patient way of seeing the gospel and seeing ministry. I would encourage you all, as I'm encouraging myself this morning, let's be patient. You don't know. We, we, we all want to be 
the final link in the chain. We, we want to be the final one. I think there's something of people's egos that wants to be the one that prays the prayer so we can say, didn't that person get saved? And yet I want to put it to you that perhaps there are hundreds of conversations that have gone into that person's life over many, many years that you know nothing about faithful drip feeding, faithful irrigation, faithful, faithful Christians simply speaking about Jesus wherever they can and suddenly the Holy Spirit brings conviction and they get saved. Let's be patient. Let's not rush. I'm not saying let's not do. <laughs> I'm saying we must talk. We must engage. We must be thoughtful. Above all, I want to encourage you, be patient. Don't give up. Continue to faithfully love your friends by spending time with them, answering their questions, and really, really being their friend. And when the opportunity comes, Speak about Jesus. And don't feel like you have to offload everything you know about the gospel in your first conversation. Yeah? I remember my friend uh, Terry Kruger preaching his first message. And he kind of downloaded everything he knew about the gospel in his first message. And it was long. (laughs) It was very long and it wasn't very good. And then someone said to him, Terry, you don't have to say everything you know in your first sermon. Be patient. You want to build. You want to drip feed into people's lives. We faithfully sow the seeds, faithfully water the seeds. God brings the growth. And I trust that we're going to see many, many saved into this community over the year that lies ahead, the years that lie ahead. Amen?